Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend and Veris Age Institute colleague and co-host, Ed Kless. And on today's show, folks, we are doing Free Rider Friday for the month of June. Welcome, Ed. Hey, Ron. Good to talk to you. You too. I'm looking forward to this. Always, always. Free Rider Friday is so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> for us really? anyway i think and i think the audience likes it too from the feedback we get no yeah yeah for sure you know i was uh at a firm this week and during the lunch the topic of tesla came up and you know just the whole elon musk image and mystique mm-hmm. and all of that and 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 a little bit about the car somebody at the table owns the car so i was asking them all sorts of questions about you know how far can you go and are there enough charging stations to you know drive to la or something and you know there's obviously an app that tells everybody you know where the next charging station is and even how busy it is and and all of that it takes about 20 minutes to get it up to you know an 80 percent charge or something some of these hyper stations and anyway i had this in my stack last month ed and it's a couple things related to elon musk and we've beat up on Elon Musk before on this show. And I, I just have to say that uh, I do admire the guy. I really, I truly do. The only yes. thing I find objectionable about him is he just he sucks at the government teeth like nobody's business. And we have no he's a, wealth, he's a welfare queen. He's so, a welfare yeah. queen. Yeah. And we have no business subsidizing this guy. But in uh, Inc. Magazine or Inc.com is where I saw it. This guy, Jeffrey James... It's a reporter, contributing editor, actually, and he just gives Elon Musk fawning press. I just I read two articles and I I got diabetes from from <laughs> from, from, from reading this. Um, and let me just share one with you. He says he, this is the title of the article. Elon Musk just gave the world's best productivity advice in a single short sentence, and we all owe him a debt of gratitude for pointing out the obvious. I mean. What kind of a journalist starts an article like this? There was a recent memo from Musk to all of his Tesla employees, and this is to increase performance with their Model 3 manufacturing, right? They are way behind, and right. that's the next story I have. But um, here's, here's the world's best productivity advice, Ed. Avoid large meetings and keep them very short. Avoid acronyms and company-specific jargon, lest you confuse contractors, because they have all sorts of contractors and consultants running around Tesla. Ignore corporate rules if they are obviously idiotic. Then my question is, why are they a corporate rule? Uh, But this one takes the cake, and this is the world's best advice. Walk out of a meeting or drop off a call as soon as it is obvious you're not adding value. That's it. That's okay. That's that's just brilliant, isn't it? Um, 
<laughs> and, and, you know, it, it's I've lived by that. I, 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 I don't do it rudely, but I have on many occasions said, look, I'm not adding anything to this. I'm going to bail. Yep. Which makes complete so, sense. Of course. Makes, but here's, here's the other thing. Um, this, is, this is from The Economist, uh, April 7, 2018, called Driving to the Next Circle of Hell. Uh, on April 1st, Elon sent out a tweet. We are sad to report that Tesla has gone completely and totally bankrupt. <laughs> this was obviously an April Fool's joke. Right. Um, but his shares have fallen by 16% since February. Uh, there was that crash in March where the driver was killed. Um, and he's got over 400,000 deposits for this Model 3 car that he's building. And he said in July of last year that they were going to be making 20000 per month by December. Well, they made fewer than 2500 in the entire fourth quarter. They lost $2 billion in 2017. And analysts predict that Tesla will need somewhere between 25 to $3 billion of cash this year. In other words, he just—they're having all sorts of production problems with this car. They just can't ramp up enough. But then he turned around and boasted that, or one of his people did, that the Model Three assembly line is now providing the fastest growth of any automotive company in the modern era. If this rate continues, it will exceed that of Ford and the Model T. <laughs> and and, and the, the Economist, in their understated way, said such bluster does not withstand scrutiny. and the last thing i'll say about this is musk wants a factory to be his factory to be a machine that makes machines but what is pointed out is auto manufacturing manufacturers who do a heck of a lot more quantity than tesla uh, has found that a mix of man and machines is the most effective so really really interesting keep your eye on tesla i don't know no definitely yeah, no, it is going to be interesting, and I, I have to say that I, a friend, a friend of mine, actually a guest on on our show, uh, Greg Tarico, remember back, uh, he, yeah. he's done done some stuff with us. He he was mentioning to me that he's purchased a Model Three. Mm-hmm. Do you know there's still the seventy five hundred dollar tax credit right now? Yes, of course. These, but yep. but there's a, there's there's a bit of a there's a bit of a, a kerfuffle uh, about it um, because it does does it mean. I think it's up to like the two hundred thousandth car that they produce, and not Model Three. It's just two hundred thousand total cars, mm-hmm. and I I guess in total t- Tesla's getting to there, and they yeah. may have orders for more than two hundred thousand. So when it, it, you know, and based on when do these things ship? Because he he said it's a four to six month wait for his. Right. Right. Uh, so I said, yeah, it'll be a Christmas present if he gets it on time. Right. Which is six months from now. Which is likely, by the way. <laughs> yeah, no, I just based based on what you're telling me, no, I think I think that, that it's maybe next year at this time, maybe. But but here, you know, here's the question. I don't know, maybe one of our our, our accountant folks can shed some light on this is is how how would the government know when Tesla sh- takes an order for or ships their two hundred thousandth vehicle? To start, because because the, then the tax deduction retrofits out, right? It, it, I think it drops by half, and then mm-hmm. half again after a certain number. So, 
Anyway, I just said that that was just just an, an interesting add to your story there, Ron. Yeah, there's, no, no, that is interesting. I, 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 I'm not sure how they. I don't know if they'd send in IRS auditors to look at that, and then you know, I'm not sure how that would work, but uh, mm-hmm. or there's or Tesla's just self-reporting on on that. But yeah, I didn't realize that the the tax credit phases out. But don't worry, Ed, it'll be restored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I have to admit, like, I the co- the car is really cool. It is. Right? It you is. Know? It's fast, too. And, for, you know, from a Machiavellian perspective, the end justifies the mean. I mean, wh- why not go, go buy a $35,000 car that you can get $7,000 off or $8,000 off, depending, and, you know. And drive in the HOV lane. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's not much different than cash for clunkers. Well, so well along those lines, Ron. So I was th- thinking about this because you know my my son Sean is twelve, twelve and a half now, and so it's so let's fast forward four years or so when he gets we get gets is eligible to get his driver's license. So I'm I'm putting do, doing the math on this, and you know you you can be my my accounting take on this. If I were to get him a car that is just serviceable, let's call it something we have to buy serviceable for him. Let's call it. $200 a month I would have to pay for that, right, to buy sure. the car. Sure. Right? Then I'm thinking, okay, my insurance got to go up another 200 bucks a month. Easy. Yep. Male yep. driver under the age of 25, I mean, forget yep. it, right? 100 bucks a month for gas. Yep. Right? How about I just get him like a, an Uber account and say, dude, you can, have, you can spend up to 400 bucks a month. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I'm thinking I'm gonna say I'm gonna say, like where could he go? <laughs> right, where is he gonna go? <laughs> where he just can't Uber. Right, you know. Have you had this discussion with him? I yeah, we're t- I'm talking about it. You know, yeah. What what's his reaction? Uh, right now, he doesn't care. He's you know he's right. He's, it's too far away. Too far away. I mean, four years to a 12-year-old is a third of his life. So, you know, right. it's, <laughs> it's really can't quite a, quite figure that one out. But, but And I got to think it's going to be even more viable because I would have to think by then that there's at least some autonomous, vehicle, autonomous vehicles that are on the road by then. Yeah, true. Although in Arizona, they've suspended some of their testing on that. Yeah, but now, you know that's. that's I'm just saying, four years from now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think this this technology is improving leaps and bounds, and you know it. it we, you know we underestimate it because it's one of those. It's one of those those doubling things, Ron. Right? Sure. Is that we, we we miss it until all of a sudden? Okay, well the tech. It's it's once it's doubled again in its ability to handle the the road. It's going to be far superior to what humans can do. See that—that's the weird part in this. Is that yes, right now, it's probably not as good as a human driver overall. But the next doubling, which is twelve to eighteen months away, based on Moore's law, will make it overwhelmingly better. Right. And what's the estimate, Ed, by some of these guys that it has to be like a hundred times safer than a human in terms of death before the before it's accepted by the public? That's that's what I keep reading. Well, and I have to think that that wouldn't be too far off, right? You know, we're I mean, just not going to put up with 50% better than a human because, I mean, he, I, look at the press when one of these things crashes and somebody dies, right? Whether it was Tesla or the other thing that happened, 
what, what was it, Uber? Um, yeah. It just, it, it just uh, God, could you imagine? I mean, if there's 40,000 fatalities on the road. If we had 20,000 reports like that, it would, wouldn't it just seem overwhelming? No, it would. I, it would. I mean, what, what's, what is it, 30-something thousand people die on U.S. roads every yeah, year? Is that th- right? 33, 35, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and how many of them are autonomous? I mean, just <laughs> two. Well, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but they don't get written up, you know, except in the local, you know, back page of the local newspaper type of thing. Well, but it's exactly the same thing as with cloud computing, right? And I make an analogy here is that, you know, pe- the, the, the knock on, on it, well, I don't trust my data in the cloud. It's like, okay, but you do trust it locally, and every day hundreds of hard drives fail, right? right? right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you don't hear about that, but you do hear when Amazon is down for 15 minutes. Right, right. Right? So, because it's, it's, it's this, you know, it's it, it's it's connected like that it's it's it is big news well all right well we're already through the first segment ron so what did you want to finish something up i just wanted to say on the back to sean and the whole uber thing my only concern ed is is you know unless he just doesn't want to drive i you this is when you form a core competency in driving and you get proficient at it even though it's risky and and i would worry about that long term you know, if he was just going to be shuffled around and when he was 16 to 20, when's he going to get a car, family, and, and be able to drive on his own? Or is he even going to need that? That's the know. question, right? That's the question. That's the question. Yeah. I guess and it's, it's up I think to him. It's a, yep, it's, it's definitely up to him. I would say it's within his, his purvey to make that decision. Sure. All right, well, we're up, up against the first break, Ron. Ron remind, remind you that you can get a hold of either one of us by sending an email to ask. T-S-O-E at Verisage.com. Of course, the website, thesoulofenterprise.com with show notes and previews to upcoming shows. And don't forget about our Professional Pricing Society course that is now available if you go to thesoulofenterprise.com slash P-P-S, and that's for Professional Pricing Society. Obviously, you'll be taken to a link to our online class, which is available through that great organization. But now a word from our sponsor, Leading Results. If Google can't find you, do you exist at all? At Leading Results, we want to help you get found locally, both in search engines and directories. We want to help you have an outstanding reputation online. And we want to help you get those blogs written and interact on social media. Simply put, Leading Results helps customers find you. By working with our team, your practice grows and your profitability improves. Focus on what you do best and delight clients. Leave the marketing and lead generation to us. To learn more, go to leadingresults.com slash packages. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy. With co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Kless, Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? 
I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. All right, welcome back, everybody. We're here doing Free Rider Friday in the month of June, and Ed, I think it might have been in the last Free Rider Friday or maybe the one before that, I forget. But remember Finland had that universal basic income ex- experiment? Yes. And they yes, stopped sure it. Do. Um, yeah. it. was It was started in January 2017. Then it was a trial of 2,000 people. And they were all unemployed. And they gave these people $680 a month. The, um, the program did, the program was um, slated to end and it didn't get renewed so it it's not exactly accurate to call it it didn't end because it was a failure in other words in fact they haven't even reported out the findings yet um so they're they're still waiting for that that report to be issued so i just wanted to clarify that if anybody got the impression that we said that it was because it failed uh, or now it didn't get renewed uh, which means they didn't see any reason to keep it going, or at least they couldn't get the legislators to do it. The welfare agency who runs it wanted it to be renewed and refunded, but they couldn't get the votes. Um, but and I just also wanted to point out that there's another UBI experiment being uh, started up in Ontario with 4,000 participants in four towns. And uh, Y Combinator, you know, the upstart here that helps upstarts, and I think it's in San Francisco. What do they call right. them? Incubators, right? Incubators, the, yep, yeah, incubate, yeah. Yep. And uh, it, this one is starting a, a randomized control trial uh, in the U.S. on the UBI. And also, there's one being run by an outfit called Give Directly in Kenya. Uh, and most interesting, Ed, there's one being run in, or they're ramping up to start one in Glasgow and Edinburgh in Scotland. And I just wonder if Adam Smith is spinning in his grave. No, for sure. <laughs> Say, saying something like, read the theory of moral sentiments, please. <laughs> Maybe we need uh, to send Russ Roberts in there and <laughs> have, yeah, have him give up. a talk. Sure. <laughs> All right, Ron. I got. I got like th- this is. It's going to count as one. I'm going to, but it's okay. it's really three. It's kind of three in quick succession. No, number one, I, I sent this to you the other day, and we're thrilled to to note that uh, Man in the High Castle renewed for a third season. Uh, uh, fourth, you said, or fourth? Oh, fourth season. I'm sorry, right, renewed for right. fourth season. That's correct. Right. Even I, though the third season has not dropped <laughs> has yet, not dropped yet. It's driving me crazy, by the way. But okay, <laughs> with, yeah, with no specified no. date anywhere that you can no. find. No, just an awesome trailer, though. It's awesome. You haven't watched it, though, have you? 
I haven't. And and I but I just did watch an interview with Rufus Sewell talking uh-huh. about the character. Yep. And it just it was just awesome. Just and, and he's got a British accent, so he's doing the he's doing the Doctor House thing, you know, with the accent, which is really good. Well, no, because he if you and I know you didn't watch this, but the 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 PBS series Victoria, he plays Lord Melbourne. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, it, so it's very weird because you, you know I'm used to him as Obergrove and Fiora Smith, right? Right. And, and now all of a sudden, yeah, yeah. Lord Melbourne. Uh, but but you know he was he was um, Alexander Hamilton in the John Adams thing, the HBO John Adams thing. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Didn't so that. great character actor, just really wow. really great character actor. Well, speaking of people who do American accents. Uh, you know, the guy who was in our next favorite series, The Americans, Matthew Reese. Yeah, you know, he's got it then, too. Right. He's he's yeah. he's actually Welsh. Right. Yeah. Right. So, right. That's uh, right. But I- it's the, so here's the, the thing I wanted to bring up. Did you see that there, there there's a real true life American things going on in Canada? Yes, I did see right. that. In fact, I think you should. Two it young me. men who were born in Canada of a Russian spy couple. Mm-hmm. Right, are fighting to keep their Canadian citizenship. Now, this is this is interesting from a bunch of different things as well. Sure. Not the least of which is if if they were born in the U.S., this would not even be a a question, right? Would it? Right, right, absolutely. Because this ties into like so many things that are going on today. All right, so first of all, the the, the story here is that in Canada, we'll post a link up to this, obviously, because we always do. That there was a couple who were Russian spies. They actually they had two sons. It seems that their sons had no knowledge at all of what was going on. Right. right? So unlike unlike in the show The Americans, where Paige did did know that you know did know the deal. Right. right? The son didn't. Right. The, these kids are completely innocent, but. But now the the Canada is trying to kick them out, yep. right? Which is really interesting because this whole notion of what what does and does not constitute a citizen, of course, in the United States, the Fourteenth Amendment is extraordinarily vague, mm-hmm. right? In that it says all all persons, right, mm-hmm. born in the United States, naturally born in the United States. So, therefore. It's pretty interesting that these these folks would not have a question of citizenship if they were born in the U.S. Right, right, which leads into the whole conversation about anchor babies, right? Because mm-hmm. it's pretty clear right now, based on the previous reading of the constitutions, that if you're born here, you're a citizen. Period. End of story. Mm-hmm. And that you would have to, we would have to change the constitution in order to. Uh, not allow that. Would you agree with that, Ron? Or is the way you're reading of it is now? You, we can argue whether or not it should or shouldn't be changed, but just as it's right. Just, no, I, in fact, I don't think it's just that. I think there's been court cases on it, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Supreme sure. Court has kind of ruled on this. I forget the year, but if you're born here, you're you're a citizen. You're a naturalized citizen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's my that's my reading of it. Yeah, so no no question on that. Okay, so then the last thing that, that's related to this, too, then, is that they're talking spinoff, Ron. Really? Spinoff. We're oh, talking spin Don't tell the, you mean the Americans. The Americans. Uh, yeah, featuring what? Paige. Is it going to feature Stan for crying out loud? Is it the Keystone <laughs> Cop? You know, Dudley Do-Right? Uh, <laughs> Yep, you know, Stan's got to come back just to annoy oh, you. 
it just <laughs> yes, it, and that would that would. I mean, I don't want to. No spoiler alerts. I'm not going to say anything. But but Stan is just completely disappointing throughout that whole series. <laughs> Come on, he's a human being. He's just he's the nice guy FBI agent, the FBI agent with a heart of gold. <laughs> Oh jeez! <clears throat> you just say it, if you just can't can't actually envision an FBI agent like that, right? Who would, who would even be that conflicted? No, yeah, I can't. And, and, and that clueless. And that clueless. <laughs> I mean, just, just clueless. I just all the stuff is going on under his nose, and he, you know, he finally figures it out in like the last episode. Nah, well, we talked about this, but in in fairness, he did he did suspect very early on. Well, no, he, he did. did. Yes, yeah. He, yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. I give him some kudos for that. But then he just kind of dumbed out. So. <laughs> but then that, became best friends with a with a you know with a Russian spy. No biggie. That's interesting. <laughs> a spinoff for the Americans. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, who knows? Especially with the way it ended, you know. So, yeah. yeah wow. Um, all right. All right I got yeah. one. Okay, uh, this is um, Thinking Outside the Police Box. Um, it's a columnist by the name of Buttonwood who, who ran a column in The Economist, and he's retiring. And his last column was he said, you know, if I could go back in time, uh, when I started this column 12 years ago, 550 columns ago, what advice would I give myself, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of one of those, if I knew then what I knew now, what I know now. Um and, and he came up with a list of lessons I thought were pretty cool. He said, avoid confusing the financial markets with the economy. <laughs> he said, if all you were looking at is the S&P index, you know, it's doubled since 2006, mm-hmm. right? And it's already, it's already, you know, gone past its pre-crisis level of the 2008 recession. And uh, he said, you know, there's less competition uh, because – uh, global. Oh, and then the other th- the other lesson he said is it, the market's resilience. Corporate profits pre crisis revel um, the pre crisis level rapidly regain regain was regained and now it's mm-hmm. been surpassed. So we've been saying for a long time that that corporate right. profits are really high. Now one of his reasons was well, there's less competition. Um, you know, because of all these big players, right? Amazon and Facebook and Google, but also globalization suppressed wages. But what he didn't mention, and I think is a big chunk of it too. I don't know how much of it, but I would say pricing. The companies have just gotten more sophisticated with respect to pricing and that's keeping profits up. We don't see the price wars we used to. When we do see price wars, they tend to be short lived and surgical. We don't see a lot of destruction of value. Um, in 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 the sectors that we used to, um, so and and his third lesson was never underestimate the power of central banks. Uh, the quantitative easing, for example, didn't cause the expected inflation. And his last point was let's all take a deep breath and relax about China. <laughs> there, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I I you know I thought he was going to say something like uh, well what I've learned in this. 12 years of writing about economics is microeconomists are wrong about specific things, whereas macroeconomists are wrong in general. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. (laughs) Which is true. Um, You know, it's interesting. A couple just quick comments on that. I was thinking about this from the the China perspective and, you know, the, the growth of U.S. military spending that is, hey, we have to worry about China, right? right? And I'm just like, well, 
with what China's doing right now, it, say, say China were to surpass the U.S. in terms of military strength, right? Mm-hmm. For whatever reason. You know, part of me says, good, let them police the rest of the world, right? Mm-hmm. But you would have to think that their policies would be dang similar to ours in terms of keeping the shipping lanes open. Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> right? I, think, I mean, yeah. I it think that's wouldn't right. be significantly different, is my point. Right. Right? So I'm like, what? Are, so maybe this is just, so really, what, 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 what are we worried about? I just heard I just heard a Cato podcast with a guy talking about this. Oh, really? Uh, about the shipping lanes and all of that. He said, well, look, China's got an incentive to keep them open just as much as we do. So, yeah, no, I, I, I you know, I, I know they steal IP and there's issues there. And, and you know, they have all these, um, you know, regulatory requirements. When, when our companies go over there, they have to be 51% owned by, you know, a Chinese company. And, and they're starting to relax that. And I think they will. Um but I think as they innovate, I mean, they've already invented that new drug that we talked about on one of the Free Rider Friday shows. As as more and more that comes out, then they're going to be they're they're going to be a significant trading partner that that are really given hopefully some innovative products. So, yep. well, Ed, this is just flying by as it always does. And folks, we'd like to remind you if you want to contact Ed or myself, you can send us an email to ask tsoe at verisage dot com. Do check out our full show notes as well as our archive of all the shows we've ever done at thesoulofenterprise.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Abacus Next. Results CRM, the award-winning Abacus Next product, is a customer relationship management solution that will automate your business processes, streamline workflows, and deliver consistent results. Cloud-enabled to provide access to your users anytime from anywhere. Grow your business in 2018 with the number one QuickBooks CRM. To learn more about Results CRM, visit ResultsCRM.com. Clouds come in all shapes and sizes, and the Abacus Private Cloud is the perfect fit. Abacus Cloud enables all the desktop apps you know and love while providing unparalleled security to your business. Cloud functionality gives you the flexibility to work where you want, when you want, and from any device you want. Don't waste countless hours managing IT. Take back your time. Learn more at abacusnext.com. Tune in to the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the foreword changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the foreword to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its foreword. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the foreword and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The future of online TV is here. 
you exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise And we are back on the Soul of Enterprise. Again, just a quick reminder, take a look at our class, which is now available through the Professional Pricing Society, thesoulofenterprise.com slash PPS. Hey, you know, Ron, um, this one I I have to, you know, I always make a little little fun of you for staying in the People's Republic of California Mm -hmm. rather than moving here to Texas. Yep. So what's 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 the deal? Are are you going to vote in favor of splitting California into three? The ballot no, measure seven, seven. No, oh, yeah. Because did that one make it on? I know there was the one with three is definitely qualified, so that's going to be on the ballot to is split it? California. By the way, well, here's what we're talking about: that there's the story. California has a proposed ballot to split it into three separate states: Northern California, which is basically San Francisco, Sacramento, and everything up all the way to the Oregon border. There, right? Right. And then, then there's Southern California, which is really the inland. It was, it, it, it's it, yes, it does include San Diego in the south and Riverside, Bakersfield, Fresno, but it's mostly the the inland area. And then there's the the what would remain as California is from Monterey all the way down to L.A. So, LA. but all yeah. along the coast, right? So you would be in Northern California, Ron, which that's where you would end up living, right? Uh, so the so the question is number one: Are you going to vote in favor of this? Is this something you would favor? I don't know. I'd have to look at the map and see how it's drawn. But I, I just can't believe, you know, in our one party state, um, that this is going to be allowed because of the the electoral college politics involved. I mean, the you know the Democratic side of the aisle has the what is it fifty five whatever electoral votes locked. I mean, mm-hmm. they don't even have to campaign here, <laughs> and right. And, Trump only did one or two appear, and I can't see them relinquishing that, right? Because some of those some of those electoral college votes w- would go would go to the other side, would go red, especially right. in the inland and and in parts of in in the south. So I, I just I, I don't see it happening. Yeah, you know, so, well, that's I, I I agree. I don't think that it would be voted for. Certainly not at the first right now. For however, if some people think that, that it would be better for 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 the Democrats anyway because they would potentially get six senators as opposed to two. Well, that right? that's true, but they but but they might not. I mean, in some of those areas, you know, at least one of them probably would go to two Republicans. I would think. Mm-hmm. You know. So then the question becomes: Is can 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 a particular area of a state spin off and form its own thing? Right. Mm-hmm. Without right. the consent of the other parts of the state. <clears throat> and that's really then the next question after that. So uh, because that which has been tried before. And I think we talked about this on a free ride Friday a long, long time ago. The state of Jefferson. The state of Jefferson. Right. Right. Yep. Right. Which is yep. a combination of some people in northern California. But it's also uh, was well, also southern Oregon as well. 
potentially trying to form a, a, another state, which they did do successfully, by the way, but it, it happened to be on a really weird date, December 7th, 1941. Right. But they even elected a governor and everything. But yeah. it just it, it just fell off and nobody said, ah, yeah, whatever. And then <laughs> and it, <laughs> it, we've got more the important mo- things to deal with now. The movement is kind of alive and well. I remember listening to a Tom Woods show a while back. He had the guy, you know, one of the guys from that movement, one of the leaders that he interviewed, and he talked about all the issues involved and how they're keeping it alive. But, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I'd probably vote for it just to shake things up. It's so frustrating to live in a one-party state. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, throw it into chaos. What the heck, you know? At least I don't have to give up my climate, so I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, there you go. I just, I just think that that's really interesting. But you said there's also potentially one that's like proposed to divide it into seven states. Too? Well, I've, I've heard, I've heard that, and, and no, but I don't think it's an actual initiative, ballot initiative. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, but I, I gotcha. have heard talk about moving it into six or seven. It's crazy. Well, we're going to slide into the ocean anyway, so what's the difference? No, you know, well, maybe maybe it'll just be the, the you know, the Monterey to L.A. piece. Which, <laughs> right. <laughs> well, well, you anyway. know, keeping, keeping with our theme of, of uh, reporting on, uh, you know, positive trends and, and things happening that, you know, we don't tend to see or pay much attention to, there was a great special report by The Economist on what they called financial inclusion. And, you know, it was basically all about how mobile technology, smartphones basically has brought, have brought hundreds of millions of people into the financial system. So for instance, in Bangladesh, you know, this, they, they have an app called B cash, small B capital K cash. um, And it's got 30 million registered users, you know, and these are, previously unbanked people they they're calling this the collective mattress Mm -hmm. (laughs) so in 2012 the world bank created a findex which has been funded by the gates foundation in 2011 ed there were two and a half billion people that were unbanked that decreased to two billion in 2014 and now as of 2017 it's at 1.7 billion So there's still a lot of people out there unbanked, but we're making progress on it. Almost the same amount of people um, have been removed from, you know, bone crushing buck and a quarter a day poverty. Um, So adults with a bank or a mobile money account now is 69% of the population. And though one of the problems with this metric is... um, that access is not the same as in, as inclusion because 25% of these accounts are inactive. But the technology's there, and it's also allowing for really innovative things like crop insurance, right? So if you're a farmer and the, uh, the rainfall falls below a certain level, you just it will just automatically pay out the policy. It'll know that because of the, mm. you know, the data. And the other thing that this mobile technology is allowing is credit scores. So, there, you know, rather than looking at our FICO scores, and, and if you look at all the things that we look at in a FICO score, uh, you know, some of them are telling, some of them are predictive, but they're not the only things. What the mobile technology is allowing these outfits in, in these countries to do is look at GPS data because that can tell us somebody has a steady job, 
a permanent address. They, they call through their social media data, their shopping data, um, and they can, they can actually get pretty accurate scoring for credit risks and loans and things like that. So the, the last survey that was done by the, by the World Bank on this Findex survey asked a question of those 1.7 million people who remain on bank, why? And two-thirds of the respondents said, too little money. So as good as the technology is, it's, it's not going to be enough. They still need free markets. They still need capitalism. You know, they still need wealth creation. But mm-hmm. at least now they have a platform where they can be banked. And I just, I just think that's really exciting because that's a big part of, of you know, good functioning credit markets and, and all of that. So I, yep. I think it's going to be a positive thing. Nope, totally agree. Well, along those lines, Ron, uh, this, this uh, from Bloomberg – that millionaires now control half of the world's personal wealth. Mm. Okay. Right? So personal wealth around the globe is $201.9 trillion. I don't know exactly how they figured it out, but okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fine. So two, let's, cause we'll call it, let's call it an even $200 trillion, Right. Right. And, and so this is that the, the ranks of personal millionaires and billionaires now hold uh, almost half of that, uh, up from slightly less than 45% in 2012. Mm-hmm. North America, which had the has $86.1 trillion of total net worth, 46% investable capital held by more than 5 million in assets, right? So I'm mm-hmm. sorry, 42% is held by more than people with 5 million in assets. Now, kudos to Bloomberg. Because the person interviewed in the story and the author and the, the, the person who is the lead reporter on, uh, of this study says the fact that wealth held by millionaires as a percentage of the total wealth is increasing does not mean that the poor are getting poorer. <laughs> right? What it means is that everyone is getting rich, richer. Specifically, we believe that the rich are getting richer faster. So, and, and when guess where the big winner is, Ron? We talked about it earlier. China. China. Yeah. Yeah. Right. China. Sure. Right. Which yep. makes total sense. So, but, you know, here's the thing. This is a, this is, I think this is, we cover this under, hey, this is, this is good news. This is really good news that there's so many millionaires among us. Absolutely. That's a good thing. It is. Because they're the ones that make the investments and they're the ones that launch, help launch new companies and hire people and, and all of that, yeah, a world without wealthy people is um, I wouldn't is a world I don't want to live in. It's just trickle down, though, Ron. Just trickle down. <laughs> well, Ed, completely unrelated. I know we've only got thirty seconds, but yeah. real quick, outside the post office building in New York, you've probably seen this. Is the plaque that reads, "Neither snow nor rain nor heat nor gloom of night stays these couriers from their swift completion of their yes. appointed rounds." Right. It's on the top of the building. It's carved into marble right. on the top of the building. Yeah. Right. And there was some yep. graffiti. There was some graffiti next to it that said, "What is it then?" <laughs> <laughs> the post office is our favorite whipping boy, but it's time <laughs> to privatize that thing. I'm hoping that's one thing Trump can do, but he hasn't talked about it, and he's only talked about the post office in relation to Amazon, so I don't know if that's on his agenda, but I would love to see that that dinosaur be privatized. Anyway, 
Uh, Ed, I can't believe it. We're up against it again. Folks, we'd like to remind you, contact Ed or me. Send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Do go out to the Soul of Enterprise, what is it, Ed, slash PPS, and check out yeah. our check out our uh, pricing course that we did for the Professional Pricing Society. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Sage. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. There is no blueprint for running the perfect firm. No way to know the challenges you'll face. But your journey does not have to be an odyssey. Experience what it is like for every part of your firm to be connected. Experience a practice management tool where everything is just a click away. Experience Office Tools. To learn more, visit officetools.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. We have a letter, Ron. A letter, or not a letter, an email letter. Listen to me. I think you inspired me from the, with, the, with the post office thing. Uh, hello from London, UK. Uh, thanks for your eye-opening programs and books. And he uh, mentions that he read your book, Implementing Value Pricing, is trying to implement this in his business. He is a, a UX, that's user experience design right. consultant. And he says, one of the points that I struggle with isn't the fixed price itself, but how to justify the direct relationship between business value, say revenue, and my services. See, the client is suspicious when I get too deep into the business model and think this guy wants to see how much we earn just to charge us more. I see suspicion (laughs) on their face. Wondering if you could turn this perspective around. I'd appreciate you giving us some hints on your podcast. This is from Spiros Zevalekis. He is the director at Digital Product Design, I believe is the company name. And the, so good for you. Thanks for the question, Spiros. Really appreciate yes. it. Um, so uh, let me give you my take, Ron, on this. and Because th- this, this actually does go to some things that we've talked about on, on previous shows, including the value conversation. But I actually wanted to suggest that Spiros listened to our show on consulting assumptions that we did, mm-hmm. uh, consulting theory and practice, because 
one of the the things that I think is important is to get out what I like to to call as your intent statement, right? And as a consultant of any kind, whether it's you know designing user experience or implementing accounting software or being an accountant, I, one of the things that I like to talk about early on in the in the relationship with the prospect is that my intent is to help. I say this, you and, and your company make the best possible decision. Right. Right. And the reason why I'm asking so many questions about business value is not so that I can you know, discover that I can you know, charge you a boatload more, but it's so that I can help them make the best possible business decision. Now, Yes, one of the things that that also does is it it allows me to understand you know what what this customer's ability to pay is and all those other things. But if you're doing the things that Ron and I talk about, which is offering choices and designing three choices for people to select from, then you can always create choices that allow them to do a lower priced option that might not have all of the the bells and whistles and the, the from a value perspective might not have as much follow-up time, for example, that they can continue to ask questions, but that might be more reasonable to them or in their wheelhouse from a pricing perspective. And I think this is one of the things that is most misunderstood about value-led pricing is that it means that the price is always more. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. It just means that the value, the perceived value of the customer is going to be used as the primary but not sole determining input. And in some cases, it might even if you it might even allow you to charge a lower price than you quote normally would under an a billable hour range because you believe maybe in the mission of the company that you're working with. Maybe it's a not for profit, for example, right? Um, or or maybe it's not. Maybe it's a for profit that's just getting started, but you believe in what they're trying to do, right? And therefore, but and you want to be able to charge them a price that's commiserate with the value specifically to them. So that's how I would answer it. One, first, understand that your intent is to help them make the best possible decision, which is why you're really trying to get have this conversation about value. But then two is like va- value-led price doesn't necessarily mean higher price. Right. No, and I can't. I can't really improve upon that. The only the only thing I was going to suggest is, you know, not all value can be calculated right i mean we always talk about how value is a feeling it's not a number and yes there are certain things you can calculate about value you know cash flow savings increased profitability those those types of things uh but there's also a big spiritual component to value you know and that by definition can't be measured and we really need to infer value i mean short of taking a contingency pricing plan where you know, like, like Accenture does or McKinsey sometimes will say, you know, if we can save you X amount in cost, we'll give us 10% or whatever. I mean, if you're not doing that type of pricing, then I think you have to rely more on inference of value rather than trying to compute it. And that might, that might take some of the suspicion off their faces as well, because you're, you're, you're kind of, I'm putting more of the burden on the professional to, to look at their business model, look at their finances and infer that value rather than try and get the client to, you know, specifically calculate it. Right. Yep. So, but yes, great, great, great questions, Byros. Thank you for that. Um, Ed, really quick, I, uh, I got a couple things here, but um, I'll just put this one out. Uh, one of my favorite e- economics writers, as you know, is a guy named Kevin D. Williamson, who writes for National Review. 
and he wrote a recent column called Venezuela's Future and Ours. And you probably know this, but the United States has resigned from the UN Human Rights Council because of its unwillingness to deal with the, the stuff that's going on in Venezuela, right? The hunger and the massacres and, and all of that. And this Human Rights Council is a joke anyway, because Russia's on it, Cuba's on it, China's on it. I mean, you know, they might as well put North Korea on it. Um, but he's talking about in here that he says, I've long argued that half of our political disagreements are cases of failing to agree about the meaning of a word. <laughs> and he talks about capitalism, what it means to libertarians and conservatives is, you know, free enterprise, Adam Smith. But what it means to the left is, you know, the sh shenanigans of the United Fruit Company, Halliburton and Enron, right? Mm -hmm. So there's yep. that. And then he goes on to document the, the failure of central planning uh, and how that, you know, repression and, and, and all of that is not is not extraneous to socialism. It's baked into the socialist cake. He said Lenin, Stalin, Mao, Castro, uh, Chavez, Maduro, Honecker, Ho Chi Minh, Pol Pot, the Kim Dynasty, Shining Path. <laughs> he said no ideology is that unlucky. <laughs> no. No. And, and yep. And just to, to add to that, Ron, I'll just uh, there's two articles that will include because I had this stuff on Venezuela in my stacks too. We don't have time to deal with it, but one is a great article from Town Hall on Ayn Rand was right with regard to Venezuela and how Venezuelans shrugged, and then the other one is the the return of polio uh, to Venezuela, which has just been a horrible, yeah. horrible thing. Um, so I'll, I'll add those two articles to to, to the to the stack. But, but his point, Ed, is being rich is no prophylactic against tyranny or anarchy. And, you know, we talked about this with Deirdre. This can all reverse if we just, you know, if we change the language or change our minds about these things. He says countries like families can go from shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves and it needn't take three generations. And I didn't know this, but the Scottish say the father buys, the son builds, the grandchild sells, and his son begs. A nation that is not building is on its way to begging. Venezuela is already there. So, Ed, that's what that that's uh, post that up. It's from Kevin D. Williamson. And what's on store for next week? Uh, next week, Ron, we're going to talk about our memorable mentor, Peter Drucker. Oh, awesome! Finally, a whole show dedicated to uh, a great man. So, I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the soul of enterprise, business, and the knowledge economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. In the meantime, check out our full show notes at thesoulofenterprise.com. And you can also contact Ed or myself at asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend. <laughs>